Welcome to Audiobook Test Drive. In today's episode, we are featuring an excerpt from Morocco Jones and the Syndicate Hoods, written by Jack Baines. One of the toughest spies you will ever meet. In the first book in this classic series, a former CIA spy behind German lines in World War II and secret agent fighting the Russian KGB in Europe during the Cold War returns to the States to find himself up against the dirtiest plot ever against the U.S. Russia's top secret agent has infiltrated the country, making an unholy deal with the Mafia for an unlimited supply of heroin, the Mafia agrees to back all Red's activities in the United States. The streets will be flooded with smack, and the back alleys with Russian agents working to bring down America. Meet Morocco Jones. He never gives a bad guy an even break. Only suckers play straight in my game. Ethics is a word that means holes in your head bullet holes. I'm one of those old-fashioned operatives. When someone takes out after me, I don't bother to haul out my conscience and frisk it for motives. I just shut my mouth and swing. A gun is nice, too, but I like the personal touch. There's this Russian agent, Bardo, for instance. I've been waiting a long time to catch up with him, and vice versa. He just rented a bunch of trigger-happy gorillas from the Mafia Zoo. It gripes me to have to keep shoving corpses out of my hotel room, but I like things neat. Pretty soon Bardo will run out of Fall Guys. Stick around, chum. The party's just beginning. First Morocco Jones is coming for the commie spy ring. Then he plans to take on the Mafia Syndicate. The entire Mafia. And now for your listening pleasure, an excerpt from Morocco Jones and the Syndicate Hoods. Chapter 1 With breakfast, now just an array of empty dishes on the glass top of the wrought iron table, Morocco Jones leaned comfortably back and grinned at the woman across from him. Laura Madigan was worthy of much more than a grin. She rated a leer at the very least. Her black hair was drawn back severely and tied in a makeshift ponytail. It was sleek hair shining above a face that needed no embellishments. An ivory oval, dark eyes widespread, mouth vivid, smiling a little indulgently at the appraisal in Morocco's eyes. Morocco's tone was mildly bantering. This is really living, honey. Here's a way of life worth following, one we've earned. Why not share it with me? Laura's dark eyes appraised the room, the luxurious thirty-foot length of quiet opulence heavy-beamed ceiling, redwood-paneled wall, and the huge fireplace rising massively from floor to ceiling, cheery now with the blazing logs that fought off the bleak gloom of a November storm slanting in over Lake Michigan. Her eyes traveled over oriental rugs, the three original oils and the few etchings, the hi-fi set and the big record cabinet. A rich and cheerful room, a room that reflected masculine good taste and something else, something almost indefinable. She smiled across the table at Morocco. It means a lot to you, doesn't it, Morocco? I think I know why. You should know, Laura. It means five years that I want to wipe out of my memory. Five years of European slums, of savagery and brutal sadism. Five years of hell, of killing or being killed. This apartment means America. It is warmth and freedom and human dignity. 
I know, she said softly, almost sadly. No more waking up in a cold sweat. No more wondering who was waiting around the next corner with a knife or worse. He smiled at Laura. This apartment is getting all that out of my system, Angel. I'm coming back to life. And that's what I want you to share. The warmth of living with love and laughter. You really are doing it, aren't you, Morocco? You really are becoming a human being again. There was a time when I doubted you ever would make it back. She paused, then added, But you're still Morocco Jones, and you're still in the same business. You and General Wayland and Brett Culver. Morocco gave a snort of contemptuous laughter. <laughs> you know better than that, Laura. We have a good agency. The general has priceless connections. We have wealthy clients who pay well for the returning of missing jewels or embezzled funds, for straightening out a crooked caper. It's duck soup after the old days, honey. And the general? Laura asked. Is he becoming human again? Morocco got to his feet, naked but for the boxer shorts. A big man with heavy, powerful, sloping shoulders, with a face hewn out of a crag, a strongly boned face that was softened by the wide, normally pleasant mouth. He was heavily muscled, yet his did not bulge or ripple. Rather, he seemed solid and smooth as granite and granite hard. The impression he gave was not so much of strength or power, but of sheer personal force. His eyes were gray, smoke-gray eyes with strange little flecks of green that seemed to flash fire, almost swallowing the gray when fanned by anger or hardened patience. He shook his head slowly, impatience dying as he said heavily, Sometimes I don't know. You know what happened to the general, don't you? I heard rumors, but never the full story. Tell me. You worked for us for a while, so you know what our organization was. The top counter-espionage unit in Europe. An outfit with a blank check as far as operations went. It had to be that way because we had to deal with this scummy top layer of European spies. We had to buy, trade, make deals, play along with the treachery, even murder, to gain our ends. You know that. Some of the green flared in Morocco's eyes with the stir of memory. The general had a girl. He really loved her. Loved her enough to keep her existence a deep secret. But Bardo found out about her. Bardo. God damn his soul in whatever hell it occupies. Bardo got the general's girl. He wanted to make a deal. He wanted the general to sell out his outfit and his country. The general said, no deal. He got his girl back from Bardo, a piece at a time. Laura shivered, drawing the robe about her shoulders. I think part of the general died then. What was left of him was all ice and cold, driving fury. Sometimes I feel that part of him is thawing. I hope he thaws completely. For all his coldness and complete lack of conscience, I still like the guy. Watching him narrowly, Laura said, You were like that yourself at one time, Morocco. Remember Budapest? When Bardo's men caught me there? I knew what they were going to do to me. Then you came. You came into that room where three of Bardo's killers held me. I'll never forget how you frightened me. More if possible, then had the knowledge of torture to come. You were the panther that night, the green-eyed killer cat. I was almost sorry for the men who held me. We had to be animals then, 
Morocco said reflexively. After Chris, it was worse for me. Laura shivered again as Morocco went on, his voice strangely flat and toneless. Chris Shane was my best friend. He shook his head slowly, his eyes somber. It's funny how in our business you sense a thing coming, feeling the approach of disaster. I felt that then. Chris and I had a mission. A scientist named Solovev and his wife were being smuggled out from behind the Iron Curtain. Chris and I were sent to meet them in Austria. They were to be waiting at a given address. Chris had the job of picking them up, and I was to arrange a way out and to meet him afterward. And Bardo got there before Chris did? Laura said. Morocco nodded. Bardo did that job himself. It was that important. He was there before Chris and killed Solovev and his wife. Then he made his first mistake. I heard a little about it, Laura said. But what's the whole story? Lost in the past, Morocco hardly heard her. Bardo didn't know that the Solovevs were taking a young girl out with them. She was hidden when Bardo arrived. But she could see Bardo. She saw his face when he killed the old couple. Then she passed out. Chris arrived and got her out of there fast, but by that time Bardo's boys were on his heels. He realized the girl's value. She was the first person who had ever seen the face of the mysterious Bardo, one of the top brains of the commie spy system. How the hell Chris did it, no one knows. But somehow, he shook the girl loose and headed her west. Then Bardo's boys got him. I caught up. I was too late. Morocco pressed a bald fist against his forehead as he said thickly, Jesus, I took the bastards and got what was left of Chris. He must have been tougher than a rhino, because he was still alive, his face a pulp, his hands and feet mangled, his... Oh, Christ, it makes me sick to remember. He stared at Laura, not seeing her, his eyes the green of emeralds. I was like the general for a while after that, until I caught up with Bardo at last in Berlin and tore the son of a bitch apart with my bare hands. What happened to Chris? Laura asked. Morocco stared at her in quick surprise. That's what I've often been asked. No one knows. He was in a hospital in Paris, and then he was sent to Switzerland for further treatment and some plastic surgery. But from there he seems to have walked right out of the world, as far as we were concerned. He may have gone back home, back here to America. He had money of his own. He may have had his own surgeons do some more work on his face. Maybe the job they did on him in Europe didn't suit him. Anyway, he's dropped completely out of sight and none of us has seen or heard of him since he left Europe. If he did leave Europe. He gave his heavy shoulders an impatient shake. Christ, why do I try to rehash? I'm trying to forget everything. All of it. The whole stinking, blood-stained business. All of it made Morocco Jones, Laura said. I only hope, she added slowly, that you don't get drawn back into something like that again. It could happen, you know. Morocco made an almost pleading gesture that embraced the rich warmth and security of the room. How the hell could anything do that? he asked. As he faced Laura, she came to her feet to gaze levelly into his eyes. A little pulse began to hammer in his throat. Laura knew something, something she was keeping from him. Suspicion flared in his voice as he asked sharply, What was the real reason for looking me up last night after all this time? 
What is it you're trying to find out? She gazed at him, saying nothing for a long moment, and as her eyes held his, Morocco saw a flash of stark fear crawl in their depths. She let the robe fall open, exposing her full, firm breasts as she went into his arms. Her voice was muffled. You'll find out, Morocco, and I wish to hell you didn't have to. Morocco held her away from him. What is it that I'm going to find out? he demanded. She shook her head. I can't tell you, she said. God damn it, Morocco said. I just got through letting you know how I feel about you. There never was a woman like you, Laura. There never was and never will be. For months I've dreamed of you being here in my arms as you were last night. And suddenly you are here, but only to find out something you think I know? Laura shook her head emphatically. It wasn't like that at all. There was something that I thought you might know, but you don't. If you had, you would have told me. You're a really great one, Morocco said. But knowing you, Countess, I should have expected it. So I'm the Countess once more, Laura said ruefully. He glared at her, then slowly his mouth softened into a smile. If the Countess had anything to tell, she would tell it in her own good time, and not a minute before. And if trouble were coming, it would come. His arms drew her close to him. I propositioned you, Morocco said, and I really meant it. Why not give it a trial run, at least? Look, starting today I'm on vacation. I've got a big fat bonus coming in from the last case. Let's go to Florida for a couple weeks. We could have fun, sweetheart. Laura smiled gently. Yes, Morocco, we could have fun. But my answer has to be no. The smile became as regretful as her voice. You see, Morocco, there may be a bonus, all right, but there'll be no vacation. Oh, for God's sake, Morocco said impatiently. Don't be so damn dramatic. What is it you know that I'm going to find out? Why can't you tell me if you're so sure I'm due to find out anyway? She clung to him for a moment. Then, with a lithe twist of her body, she was out of his arms, walking unsteadily toward the bedroom. As the door closed behind her, Morocco walked across the room to the French doors that looked out across the terrace to Lake Michigan. The lake was leaden under a lashing wind that whipped up ragged, angry whitecaps. Rain slashed at the window. Presentiment as cold as the November rain touched him briefly. Laura Madigan, the Countess, was scared. And anything that could scare her would probably stampede a herd of elephants. The memory of the past that he had evoked under the spur of Laura's questioning was close and somehow ominous. He could feel it rising about him, almost dissipating the warmth and comfort of his room that had lately become so real and substantial to him. The purring of the telephone snapped him out of his thoughts. He lifted the receiver to hear the general's dry voice on the other end saying, I hope you enjoyed your vacation. Quit horsing around, Morocco growled. You know I'm just starting my vacation today. You've slept late, the general said. That's your vacation. His tone changed, became brisk and commanding, sharpening those cold memories. Something has just come up. Get down to the office as quickly as possible, and get ready to go to work. Knowing the futility of arguing with the general, Morocco sighed heavily. Okay, will do. 
The voice changed again, filling with sly humor. I hope you and the Countess had fun, and I'm sure she got whatever she was after. You go to hell, Morocco said flatly and hung up. He turned to see the Countess in the open bedroom door, her long, torsoed, curvaceous body sheathed in a black nylon slip. The ruefulness remained in her smile. You wouldn't like to come to the office with me, would you? Morocco said lightly. The general, as usual, knows everything. Maybe you two can swap secrets. I'm sure he'd be glad to see you again. Laura shook her head slowly, refusing to allow his light mood to ease her. No. The same news that will put you back to work has already put me back on the job. She glanced at the clock across the room and said quickly, Good heavens, it's after eleven. I'm going to have to hurry. She was turning back into the bedroom when the knock sounded in the living room entrance. Morocco saw the quick stir of surprise and something close to apprehension in Laura's eyes as he raised his voice to call, What is it? On the other side of the door, a muffled voice called back, Telegram! Okay, Morocco called out. Slide it under the door. The voice answered, You've got to sign for it, Mr. Jones. Morocco's mouth twisted in a mirthless smile, and green flecks began to swallow the gray in his eyes. He gestured to Laura, caught her quick nod of comprehension, as she closed the bedroom door softly. Just how dumb can you get? Morocco muttered. The desk never delivered telegrams in this fashion, so it was no telegram. He raised his voice to call, Just a minute! He crossed the room soundlessly and whipped the door open with the turning of the knob. The man outside was fully as big as Morocco. His flat, expressionless face took on surprise and quick alarm as the door opened. The expression vanished as Morocco's left caught the hand that held a gun, while the fingers on his right slashed across the startled eyes. The man jerked back with a strangled yell of pain, almost knocking the one behind him off balance. The second man was small with a tautly pinched face. He was also very quick on the reflexes. As the lead man bumped back into him, he leapt backward, the gun in his hand leveling, his lips pulled back in a grin. The muzzle of the gun in his hand looked huge. Morocco could see the finger tightening on the trigger. He drew a quick, involuntary gasp of breath, bracing himself for the shock of the bullet. They had caught him, flat-footed, and it was obvious they had come to kill. The flat crack of a small automatic to the left of Morocco sounded in the hall. The little man half-turned, his left hand grabbing for his right arm as the gun fell from his hand. Out of the corner of his eye, Morocco saw the stir of Laura's black slip. He bent over to scoop the gun from the floor, jerking his head toward the open door. Inside, bum! The big man was leaning against the door jamb, hand to his face, a blubbering whine coming out of his throat. Morocco healed his hand against one shoulder, knocking the man into the room. Inside he caught him by the lapels to whirl him around and slam him down into a seat on the sofa. He jerked the gun in his right hand and growled at the little man. Sit down, punk. Morocco glanced at the closed bedroom door. The countess was running true to form. She still knew how to stage a flanking movement. He stood for a moment in the open door, listening. No other doors opened. No one made any outcry. It meant, he thought with quick relief, there was probably no one at home on this floor. The pinched face of the little man was blank with fear as he watched Morocco, 
his left hand holding his arm, blood welling between his fingers. The big man on the sofa pulled his hands away from his face and turned, cautious, bloodshot eyes and tear-streaked face toward Morocco. You damn near blinded me, you son of a bitch! You're lucky I didn't tear your damned head off, Morocco said. What the hell kind of dopes are you, anyway? Trying to pull the stalest gag in the book on me? Telegram? His voice was hard with contempt. Morocco tossed one of the guns into an open closet and held the other in his left hand as he dialed a number, his eyes hard and angry, as he watched the two men on the sofa. When a woman's voice answered, he snapped. Morocco calling. Let me have the general. When the general came on the other end of the line, Morocco growled. To hell with coming down to the office. You get up here pronto. A couple of monkeys with guns just paid a call on me. I'll hold them till you get here. He hung up, not waiting for the general's answer. Morocco threw a quick glance at the bedroom door, a little frown drawing a pucker of wrinkles between his eyes. He backed to the door and flung it wide. There was no one in the bedroom. Laura Madigan was gone. The countess was definitely still running true to form. Sitting opposite the two gunmen, waiting for the general, Morocco eyed his visitors sourly. What they were was obvious to him. Lower echelon syndicate hoods. He wondered, first, where he had crossed any syndicate lines, and, second, why someone took him so lightly as to send a pair of this caliber after him. The little man glanced at his left hand, now red with blood from his arm. You gonna let me bleed to death? He whined. It's an idea that has a lot of merit, Morocco said indifferently. Many more minutes dragged by before the hard knock at the door brought Morocco to his feet to open it. Coming into the room, the general might have been stepping straight out of a cartoon in a meds magazine. His loud plaid overcoat was shaggy homespun. The slanted rim of his light tan hat shadowed a face that seemed to have broken all the rules for living the good life. The lean cheeks on either side of the great beak of a nose were rattled with tiny broken veins. The lips under the mustache that sprouted ends waxed to needlepoints were full and self-indulgent. The eyes belied the rest of his face. They were ice blue, glacially cold, and as penetrating as the thrust of a bayonet. Standing beside him, Brett Culver was a head shorter than the general. Not even the loosely belted raincoat could give his skinny frame any semblance of bulk. Under the pork pie hat, his face was almost boyish, completely guileless in expression. He had a soft little mouth and a nose that was a fair-sized button. The smile he gave Morocco was self-deprecating. His brown eyes were warm, yet alert as a squirrel's. The general, hands deep in his overcoat pockets, glared at the pair on the sofa, then at Morocco. You've got a hell of a nerve, he said acidly, bringing me around to look at this garbage. Why the hell didn't you just kill them and toss them out the window? I thought you might enjoy talking to them, Morocco said mildly. Why should I want to talk to cruds like these? the general asked contemptuously. A waste of time. They wouldn't know any more than we know, and probably not as much. Some punk promised them a few bucks if they knocked you off. Sure, we could make them tell who hired them, but the answers wouldn't be worth the work and the time involved. The icy blaze of his eyes stabbed Morocco. They're not important, and you know it. I suppose the countess plugged the little guy while you took the big one? He glanced towards the bedroom. She was in there, and there's a door leading from the bedroom into the outside hall. 
This little twerp must have got quite a surprise when she pinked him. Where is she now? You should know that one, too. You have all the answers, Morocco said dryly. She took a powder while I was calling you. Contemptuous scorn edged the general's voice as he turned back to the two on the sofa. Get the hell out of here, punks, and tell whoever hired you that we'll be around one day to pull him apart. As he got to his feet, the big man turned his bloodshot eyes on Morocco and growled. I'll remember your face, you bastard. Don't get us annoyed, the general snapped, or you'll leave here in a basket. As the door closed behind the pair, the general turned to Morocco. Look, he said icily, when I tell you to come down to the office, I mean it. When did you get promoted to chief? When the two snaps came in, Morocco said calmly. I decided it would save me a trip to the office. You're getting altogether too cocky, the general said, his face relaxing into a smile. Maybe you're right. At least you'll have a sofa to fall on when I spring what I've got to say. He took a few paces across the room, turned, and the smile was gone. Bardo is right here in town. Are you nuts? Morocco exploded. I personally knocked Bardo over in East Berlin two years ago. I've just learned that you killed a stooge that had been set up for you, the general said. Don't take it too hard, though. He's had bigger and better men than us fooled over these past two years. Morocco turned his head to glance questioningly at Culver. The little operative nodded slowly, his face coldly serious. There's no doubt about it, Morocco. Bardo is in town, the general repeated. There's been a rumor circulating about him for months. Certain recent activities smelled of Bardo. Today, Washington called me and gave it to me straight. Bardo has the three of us marked for slabs in the morgue. He's got to eliminate us to get the leeway he needs. He began twisting the needle points of his mustache thoughtfully. What I can't understand, he said, is why he made his first passes at you, Morocco. You must represent some special menace to him, and it can't be because you muffed killing him in East Berlin. That proved you had no idea of his true identity. Could it be he's afraid that if I know he's back in circulation, I won't rest until I give him what I gave his poor sucker of a stooge? Any of us would do that, the general said, and Culver nodded in grave assent. But, syndicate punks, Morocco said slowly, thoughtfully, Bardo doesn't use dummies like that. The general shrugged. That's one of the things we've got to find out about. On the surface, it looks as though Bardo has made some sort of deal with the syndicate to get his hatchet work done for him. But it doesn't make sense, Morocco persisted. The syndicate sticks to its own business, just as Bardo sticks to his own business and uses his own kind of help. He did in Europe, the general agreed. But this is America. He may be a little short of the kind of help he needs, so he makes a deal with the syndicate. What kind of deal is something we'll have to learn. Brett spoke up suddenly. The Countess is in on it somehow. She had a reunion with you just to find out how much you know. Where do you think the Countess fits in? Who's she working for? Morocco shrugged. For someone with dough. He glanced levelly from Brett to the General. But she's not working on Bardo's side. That much I know. The General shoved his hands deeper into his overcoat pockets. Reunion in Chicago he said reflectively. Bardo is in town. So is the Countess. I'll give you your own odds that Chris Shane is somewhere around, too. 
Chris Shane? Morocco was adamant. That doesn't make sense. Surely he'd be looking us up. It's the girl, Brett Culver broke in quickly. It stands to reason Bardo would go wherever he thought the girl was. He must have had some line on her being here in Chicago. He has to eliminate that girl before he really can get going in business. She's the only one who couldn't identify Bardo. Chris Shane knows that. That makes sense, Morocco said musingly. It makes sense with enough unknown quantities to drive us all nuts, the general said impatiently. None of us has a single lead on the girl, and none of us knows what Chris Shane looks like now after his plastic surgery. We could meet the guy face to face in the street and never recognize him. God, what a mess. Just like old times, Morocco said with a tinge of resignation. Then he brightened visibly. So it's back in the saddle for the old roundup. The general looked sharply at Morocco. You sound goddamn cocky all of a sudden, he growled. Ignoring him, Morocco said, I suppose it's the same old routine. We all get to work to round up Bardo again. The general nodded. Each of us on his own as usual, the old procedures. Call the number you have at ten any evening and I'll answer. For the rest, each of us on his own. Morocco waved and started toward the bedroom. I'm on my way. Just a moment, the general snapped. What the hell are you gloating over all by yourself? What is it you're going to do? Go out and walk right into Bardo, the way you did last time? Hold your fire, Morocco said coolly. I should think it would be obvious that I'm going to pick up the girl who came into Austria with the Solovevs. You know, the one who can identify Bardo. Have to get to her before I can get to Bardo, don't I? For just a moment, the two men stared at Morocco blankly. Then the general drew a long breath. This is no time for kidding around, you smart bastard. Can't you see he's not Caden? Brett put in quickly. Brett's using his brains as usual, Morocco said. I know where she is. Why the hell didn't she tell us this long ago? The general raged. Yeah, Brett asked. How come you kept that bit of news from us? We were all in this Bardo thing together. There's been no reason to tell you until now, Morocco said evenly. We all thought Bardo was dead, safely dead. So the girl had no significance for us any longer. I met her through her husband, a former foreign correspondent. Then, when I found from odds and ends they dropped that she was the girl Chris Shane had spirited out of Bardus's clutches, her husband begged me to say nothing to anyone. That part of her life was a closed book. The information she had was no longer important. They wanted to forget the past, so I kept their secret. God knows I understood how they felt about leaving Europe and all it stands for behind them. They became good friends of mine, up until this last case I just finished. I was having dinner with them once a week. What the hell are you waiting for? The general stormed. You haven't seen them in two weeks. At that rate, anything could have happened to her in that time. I told you I was on my way, Morocco said. As soon as I get dressed, I'll go after her. You mean you're not going to tell us who she is and where she is? The general asked. That's correct, Morocco snapped. This is my job. I'll do it. He met the general's glacial stare levelly. You trained me this way yourself, I quote you. The fewer possessors of a secret, the fewer chances for a leak. Morocco is right, general, Brett said calmly. The information is his. Let him do it his way. But suppose the next batch of syndicate hoods succeeds in knocking you off. What then? 
Now that I'm forewarned, Morocco said, syndicate hoods aren't going to take me. Just sit tight and I'll bring you the girl. Disregarding the general's angry growl, Morocco walked into the bedroom to shave, shower, and dress. We hope you enjoyed listening to this excerpt from Morocco Jones and the Syndicate Hoods. If you would like to hear the entire audiobook, it can be purchased at Amazon.com, Audible.com, and iTunes.com.